0: What it is, everyone, you magnificent, beautiful listeners. Welcome to The Buffer. My name is Erpin, and today, you guys are going to be privy to the first official solo pod. I'm going to call it, for the sake of the hoops, we're going to discuss the iso pod. So for those that know or don't know, when a player goes iso, he waves everybody off. He says, no, I got this. I'm not passing. I'm taking the rock straight to the rim. So that's what I'm going to do today. Next week. If you guys tune in, I'll be back to the normal format. We'll have our regular co-hosts that you guys have grown to love. But today is just me. Hater to love it. And in the other episodes, I typically tell you guys to look at the show notes, look at the timestamps, and skip ahead to other topics that may be of interest to you, just in case you're not into sports or the NBA that much. Today, nah, 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 nah. We will have show notes, but... This is all hoops all day. I actually was going to record this last night after the Nuggets and Clippers finished up. You know, I was going to record at midnight. I was so hype. I mean, there were two amazing games. Game one between the Heat and the Celtics, and then game seven against the Nuggets and Clippers. I mean, just, I had too many thoughts rumbling around in my head. So I wanted to sleep on it, gather them, and have something that felt a little more cohesive, right? But I'm still hype. I got to say, I was up late reading all the articles about the Clippers collapse. I was hype. Just just a great series and just a surprising outcome, right, in the Nuggets and the Clippers in the Western Conference. So I'm going to just jump right into it. I'm just going to kind of go through the game, some basic notes, right, Which which is funny because I mentioned this on my last podcast, but I've never actually taken notes before during a game until I actually started to record this podcast. And uh, it changes things a little bit because you start to notice things and you kind of scribble down some things that you notice. And they kind of stay in your memory a little better than typically when you just watch a game and do the eyeball test. Now, for those guys out there, for those listeners, guys and girls, uh, I'm not an analytical poindexter. I like stats and you're going to hear me use them because I feel like stats can kind of confirm or disprove the eyeball test. So I like to watch a game going in, not worried about stats, not worried about, hey, this guy, what three-point percentage, you know, points in the paint. I don't like to think about all that before the game. While I'm watching the game, I go eyeball test. I see what I see. I form my opinions. And then after the fact, I'll try to fact-check and see, does that make sense? Or was I just, I don't know, making that up in my head and thought it was better than it was? I mean, perfect example is... not to get into a racial kind of a detour, but typically you get any tall white dude in the NBA, the announcer's always like, hey, watch out for him. He's a great shooter. He's dangerous from back there. When in reality, most of the time, it's a toss-up, whether they're a good shooter or not. Just because they're tall and they're white and they play in the NBA does not mean they're a good shooter. So sometimes I'll look at the stats of a certain shooter after and say, wait a minute. No, 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 he ain't that good. So, So let's just start off get right into it with the game, Jamal Murray stepped up big. He's been good this series, but he has not been, you know, supernova incandescent like in the Utah series was he was dropping 50 points regularly, 40 plus points regularly, and he was unstoppable, except for game seven in that series where he kind of slowed down a bit. This series, for the most part, the Clippers have kind of, I don't want to say locked him down, but they've prevented him from going off. And it's been more about the Joker, which I'm going to get into. Oh, I got a nice long soliloquy about Nikolai Jokic, but I'm going to save that for now. I just want to talk about Murray. He came out second quarter. Nuggets were down double digits again, yet again. These nuggets, man, something about it. I don't know what they got. Some type of complex. They need to be down in order to fight back. But again, they were down double digits. But at least this time it was the first half, not the second half like the last two games. And he kept them in it. He crawled, helped them crawl back. And they ended up finishing the half only down by two. Jamal Murray was on fire in the second quarter. I think he had 20 plus points. He finished a game with 40. So it's not like he slowed down the second half. He made some huge shots in the fourth quarter. And I'm leading this whole discussion off talking about the Nuggets. We're going to get to the Clippers and their collapse, whether it's a choke job or not, but we're going to get to that whole thing. But it would be a disservice to the Nuggets for me to start out talking about the Clippers when the Nuggets, first team ever in NBA history to have to come back from two multiple 3-1 deficits in the playoffs. So it'd be a disservice for me to kind of focus the, the main point of discussion on the Clippers. Nope, we're going to start the Nuggets. So Jamal Murray, back to him. His floater game, man. Second quarter was dope. He was just dropping in floaters, getting to the lane pretty much whenever he wanted, which he was not able to do with as much frequency in the first, you know, beginning part of the series. So he really kept him in there. Jokic was doing his thing, but more in the passing game. But Murray just really, really kept them there. So let's get to the guy, man. Let's just get to Nikola Jokic. Before Game 7, I was, you know, listening to the podcast in the world and watching ESPN and NBA TV. And people just kept kind of mentioning this thing about, hey, you know, Jokic, he may be the best player in the series, especially after Games 5 and 6. My first thought was like, get the fuck out of here. Kawhi, come on, you guys forgot about the claw? And I was thinking, well, you know, Jokic, he doesn't have the same effect on defense. And Kawhi has been having a great offensive series, too. But man, this game, if anything, it will strengthen that opinion that Jokic might have been the best player in this series. We definitely know it wasn't Paul George. I'll get to Paul George in a little bit. But Jokic, the big honey, the Joker. Holy fucking hell. What a series. I feel like right before our eyes, this entire series, he's kind of been lying in wait. He's kind of like the Thanos of this series. If you comic book fanboys Uh, Get a kick out of that, you should. You know, he's been slowly collecting infinity stones, right? Infinity stones with each passing game. By the time the second half rolled around in game seven, I mean, the Nuggets had pretty much shaved the entire lead. They had the deficit and they'd taken the lead. I mean, Jokic and the Nuggets, like Thanos, they kind of felt inevitable, right? I mean, the Clips were basically sacrificed for the final infinity stone, the soul stone. It was like bye-bye Gamora, bye-bye Black Widow, adios, ten cuidado Clippers. I mean, Jokic just, he single-handedly kept the Nuggets in the series and essentially won them the series. They were running the offense completely through him, which is nothing new. This is what the Nuggets do. They've been doing this for years. It's one of the few offices in the league that run through the center. And obviously, Jokic is not your typical center. He's not just sitting there, posting up, looking to score. He can play from the free throw line, in the paint, and he just directs everybody. It's just crazy watching him. I mean, he's slow. He's big. We know that. But he literally looks like he's playing in slow motion. Like, he just sits there. He just waits. Sometimes he'll wait to the final second or two of the shot clock, and then he'll deliver some crazy behind-the-back wraparound pass, cross-court pass to an open shooter. And almost always, it's right in their arms, like right in the perfect position to shoot, which is very, very underrated. Not many players can deliver a pass perfectly to a shooter to have them ready to go. That's Jokic, man. He dominated the game, and he only took 13 shots. I mean, he was only 5 of 13. The other previous games, he was putting up 25-plus points. He was massive numbers. But his pass in this game was next level. This is a stat line, okay? Just listen to this stat line. And it's not even that crazy compared to his other stat lines. But he finished the game, 16 points, 22 boards, 13 assists, 3 blocks. He had a couple steals too for good measure. And his defense, forgetting the 3 blocks, it was good. It wasn't great by any means, but he played good on the interior. He made it harder for guys like Kawhi and Montrezl Harrell to get those layups, which Clips missed a lot of layups. Let's just put it like that. if you just think back, the craziest part about this whole thing is that Jokic, what do you guys think? Listeners, I just want you to think for a second. Where do you think Jokic was drafted in the 2014 draft? What pick? My first thought was probably mid-first round, late-first round, because, you know, he wasn't like a crazy prospect, and he was out of shape, and he was coming from Europe, 41st overall pick in the 2014 draft 41st that is ridiculous for a player to be that good to be picked that low and that has happened with other players before but 41st pick and he has them in the conference finals overcoming a 3-1 deficit twice in back-to-back series i don't want to say he's underrated because he's not i mean especially not after this series nobody's going to say he's underrated. But even coming into this series, I think there were some doubts about Jokic and the Nuggets, especially about Jokic, about can he lead them? Can a center-driven team lead a team to the conference finals, even the NBA finals? But let me give you some numbers from last year and this year's playoffs, okay? These are Jokic's numbers. I don't think I'm having to prove this. I think everybody will be nodding their head in agreement, like, yep, man, you got it. That's right. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last year, he averaged 25, 8.4 assists, 13 boards, shot 50% from the field and 39% from three. This year, 26, five and a half assists, so assists were down a little bit, 10 boards, 50% field goal, and about 40% from three after game seven. These are big time numbers. And don't even forget, don't forget the game last year. People made fun of Jokic's big, fat, lumbering, you know, tub of lard. And he played a game, a four-overtime game against the Blazers last year where he played 65 minutes. 65 minutes. So Jokic, I don't think he gets mentioned all the time in the top players because he doesn't look like your typical top player. He's a center. He doesn't jump really more than an inch or two. But you have to, I mean, you you got to put them in the top five, top 10 discussion, at least top 10, you know, especially after this. So I mentioned it already, but the Nuggets were the first team to overcome a 3-1 deficit and they did it twice. I mentioned this already, but I think the thing that's going to get a little more focus if we transition right now to the Clippers is that the Clippers blew a 3-1 lead, which okay, shit happens, right? Teams blow 3-1 leads. It's happened probably more often than you think. It's not even that they blew the 3-1 lead, honestly. It's not. It's just how they lost. Honestly, I don't even know if I can say that the Clippers choked. Because, you know, I feel like the typical definition of choking is when you have a big lead and you blow it. Okay? So, hometown Falcons, it might still be too soon to talk about this. But 28-3, blowing that kind of lead, that's a choke. And I know the NBA is not a single-game series. It's seven games. But, you know, if the last three games were closer, then I could understand the idea that they choked. Or if the Clips were up big late, like in the fourth, and they just made boneheaded play after boneheaded play, I understand. Like if they were just fumbling the ball out of bounds, tripping over their own shoelaces, you know. I get it. But that's not mostly what happened the last few games. The Clippers were up big in three games in a row. The last games five and game six, they were up, you know, 18, 19 points, something like that in both games in the third quarter, and they lost those leads. But in the last two games, the Nuggets ended up beating them by double digits. So not only did the Nuggets crawl back, not even crawl, they like leapt, sped back, took the lead, and then pretty much just distanced themselves, you know, gave the Heisman to the Clippers and just kept them at arm's length in the fourth quarter. It's exactly what happened in game seven, right? I told everybody I know I was petrified about betting against Kawhi Leonard in a game seven. Okay. Maybe that's not always the best reason to, you know, uh, justify uh, your convictions, especially not your betting convictions. But I was like, I'm, I'm not putting money against no Kawhi in a game seven. I mean, they're the Clippers. I mean, they haven't done anything. But they got Paul George and Kawhi. I mean, they're going to get it together. And obviously, they had two big leads in the last two games. So they had to be good enough to build a lead. So all they got to do is bring it home, right? And the fact that they had a big lead in three games in a row, I mean, today is a little different. They were up 12 in the first half, and then the Nuggets closed the gap by halftime. But, you know, this is what's supposed to be known as a defense first team. I mean, think about the defenders they have on their team, okay? As a group, I don't know, that's a different conversation, how well they work as a group per se, but individual defenders. Kawhi, Paul George, Beverly, Marcus Morris. There is no reason you should be blowing double-digit leads. And worst case, even if you do blow a lead, you should be able to stop the bleeding, right? Put a tourniquet on, wrap it up, put a Band-Aid on. You should be able to get stops when you have defenders like that. So there's no excuse for them to not only give up these big leads, which happens, okay? We're in the era of pace and space. This shit happens. Teams come back all the time. But usually, teams eventually close the valve and they get it together, at least enough to make it close at the end. Clippers did not do that the last two games. They lost going away, which is, again, I don't even know if you call that choking. I don't know. Maybe. It just felt inevitable, like I said, Thanos, Jokic. Like, it just felt inevitable by the fourth quarter. You just kind of knew that the Clippers, they were out of gas or something. Their spirit was broken. Something was – it wasn't happening for them. Listen to this. The last three games, these are the second-half scores, total points for each team. This will kind of speak to my point about the Nuggets just kind of not only – Coming back, but blowing out the Clippers. Game five, Nuggets won. It was a close game. I think they won by maybe six points or so. 67 to 49. Nuggets outscored the Clippers by 18. Game six, which we all thought the Clippers, yep, they're going to put them away, right? They kind of let one slip in game five. Game six, they'll drop the hammer. Nuggets, 64, Clippers, 35, Outscored them by almost 30 points, second half. Game seven, the game seven. Playoff P, Kawhi, Doc Rivers, championship coach. They got Ty Lu championship coach on the sideline as an assistant. They got Sam Cassell, you know, champion of the Houston Rockets, draining those threes, you know, grabbing his marbles, nutsack, you know, talking about how clutch he was when he was a player. Not not that the assistant coaches have much to do with it. But they got outscored in three consecutive games by, you know, 20-plus points in each game. I mean, it's embarrassing. I mean, you have a team that is supposed to be built on defense and a guy like Kawhi, who's a closer. So you, you get the game to the fourth, and if it is close, Kawhi brings it home. Or Paul George, right? He's playoff P. He made the Gatorade commercial. Um, he had a moment or two with OKC in the playoffs, but they just could not figure out the Nuggets. I mean, all series, let's be honest, the first game, they blew the doors off the Nuggets. I think everybody said, yep, here we go, man. These Nuggets, they ain't shit. They just barely beat the Jazz. Clippers are laying down the hammer. I think that had more to do with the Nuggets just being tired. They had to play two days after playing a seven-game series. So game one, They got blown out. But after that, the Nuggets have played really well all series. Just some breaks went against them. But they put it all together the last few games. And the Clippers have not been able to stop them all series. Which, again, maybe we just overrated the Clippers from the jump. I mean, the fact that a lot of people had them as favorites to win the title. A lot of people had them beating the Lakers. I think we just looked at the roster and assumed they would show up when it counted the most. And the funny thing is, after the game, I mean, let's just let's just transition. To like, what, what what happened to the Clippers, right? Let's talk about. I mean, obviously, I told you they didn't defend, but in the fourth, they were close, but they didn't even get a bucket until five minutes left in the fourth. I mean, that pr- pretty much game was almost over by then. They couldn't score, and by the time they kind of got a bucket or two, the lead had swelled to twenty. It was too late. Didn't matter. And then, you know, PG and Kawhi, right? Let's talk about what happened. Let's get into it. I'm, You know, I'm not going to sit here. I mean, it's easy, right, for us, me as a host talking mad shit, and you listeners, all of us audience members, to just talk shit, to roast these players on the sidelines, right? We're, we're sitting on the sidelines. We're just roasting. We're taking body shots at them, right? So it's easy. So I'm not going to sit here and question their mental fortitude and all that stuff, right, because I have no idea about any of that. But PG, playoff P, Paul George was 4 of 16. He hit the backboard on a 3 late. I mean, the game was almost decided by then. It was about 4 minutes left, but a corner 3 hit the backboard. Not a good look. Kawhi was 6 of 22. He just never really looked comfortable. The Nuggets played really good defense on him. And Kawhi missed some shots near the lane, near the rim, which normally he makes. I mean, they had a lot of open and easy shots, honestly. Paul George, Kawhi, they had open shots. They just didn't make them. And the ones that weren't open were highly contested. I'll give the Nuggets credit for defending the Clips really well, better than anyone thought they could. But the Clippers missed a lot of layups, a lot of open shots. So, I mean, they're going to hear it. Kawhi probably not so much. He's done it in the clutch. I mean, he's a champion, multiple-time champion, finals MVP. Paul George is going to hear it. Maybe nobody more than Paul George will hear it. And probably Doc Rivers. I mean, he's got to take some backlash for this, and he will. I mean, third time he's coached a team that has blown a 3-1 lead. Third time. 2003 Magic with your boy, Tracy McGrady, who was in his prime leading the league in scoring. Who, funny enough, side note, after winning, you know, game four to go up 3-1, he told the press that, hey, it felt good to finally get to the second round. They then proceeded to lose the next three games and were outed out of the playoffs. So I just thought that was kind of a funny sidebar, kind of a flashback. Clippers in 2015, this is when they lost to the Rockets. Josh Smith went off in game seven. And then this year, three times, right? No coach has ever blown that many 3 one leads, which could be an arbitrary stat. You know, things just happen, quote-unquote. But he's going to take some heat, and he should. What I didn't like... The Clippers afterward in the press conference, they just, I don't know, they just seemed kind of nonchalant about the loss. Doc Rivers, Lou Will, PG, they kept talking about chemistry. Doc Rivers himself said, hey, man, the Nuggets, they knew each other better, they had better chemistry, and that the Clippers needed to work on that. Lou Will and PG both said the same thing, that the chemistry needs to get better. I think PG even went so far as to say that it was not championship or bust for them. They're just going to improve in the offseason, try to get better next year. I don't know. It's like I felt like I had to, like, shake them or something and say, hey, man, this is a big fucking deal. You guys were supposed to win the NBA title or at least be competitive. I mean, I get chemistry and all that. I get that. Those are probably legitimate reasons. But you can't use that excuse when you haven't even made it to the conference finals. I get it if you make it to the finals and you go up against an experienced opponent and then you say, hey, you know, we, we made it far, but the chemistry wasn't there, so we just couldn't close the deal. But come on, man. Look what the Raptors did last year. They didn't have a ton of chemistry. I mean, kind of, but they brought in Gasol, Kawhi. Those guys put it together. I mean, uh, the Celtics in 08, they put a team together on the fly. They got it together. I mean, a lot of teams these days, they don't have a ton of time playing together. So, I mean, look at the Lakers. They've been together for only like a year or two with this roster. And with AD, only a year. And they're in the conference finals, and they've kind of breezed to it. They've put it together. So that chemistry shit, I I just didn't get that excuse. I mean, I understand it, but for players to just kind of seem nonchalant, and that's the first thing they're talking about is chemistry? I don't know, man. That just seemed like a cop-out to me. I don't want to be Mr. Hot Take Guy. I'm not that. It may sound like I am. But shit, man. It just felt like they just didn't get it. Like, maybe they're just still stunned in the aftermath. Who knows? You know, they kind of had that, um, you know, they were in uh, shock. I don't know. But man, maybe they'll feel it a day or two later. it It just was crazy hearing their press conferences. Like, I expected they would be a little more dejected. And, you know, almost depressed or just... Sad or remorseful, but there was none of that. It was just kind of like shrugging the shoulders and, eh, we'll get them next year, which, yeah, next year's a good plan. But for Clipper Nation, guess who could be free agents next summer? I know you know this, and I don't want to bring it up because I know it hurts if you're a Clippers fan, Kawhi and Paul George. They are under contract, but they both have player options, so they can opt out next summer and be free agents within a year. So we already thought, I mean, we fans did, I guess the Clippers didn't, that this was championship or bust, but uh, it is truly championship or bust this coming year because nobody knows Kawhi and PG's mentality. Kawhi, man, we we had no idea he was really unhappy in San Antonio until he really was, and then he kind of forced his way out there, and then Toronto, they had won a title. And, I mean, most people thought he might leave, but... We weren't really sure, especially a stacked Toronto team who, honestly, let's be real here, if he would have stayed, very little doubt in my mind, they would have been in the Eastern Conference finals, because without him, they made it to a game seven, and their biggest flaw was they couldn't make shots down the stretch, which Kawhi would have helped them, and they probably would have been the favorites in the East to make the finals for a second consecutive year. So Kawhi leaving, I'm not so sure that uh, it was a smart move. I think Toronto was a lot better than people thought without Kawhi. So imagine if you put him back on that roster. Paul George, we don't know what's going on in his head, man. He forced his way out of Indiana, and then he went to OKC. He had that massive uh, concert he showed up at with Russell Westbrook, and he said, hey, I'm in OKC. I'm staying. You know, a year later, he forces his way out, gets traded to the Clippers, So who knows? I mean, Kawhi and PG are both from L.A. They're L.A. guys, California guys. So you would think they would probably stay, and that team is going to be good. They're going to be competitive as long as those two are on there. I mean, but stranger things have happened, man. Who knows? That team could implode next year, and then those guys leave. And if they leave, I mean, Clipper Nation, if you thought you had a bad now, this pain, imagine the pain of knowing your two best guys left, the guys you mortgaged everything for. Um, you gave up everything, man. You gave up the toaster, the sink, the you know mattress, the dresser, the garage, the car. You gave up the house. You gave up the crib, everything to OKC to get Paul George, just so you could also get Kawhi. So if those two guys leave, holy shit. I mean, I don't know how you can come back from that. You might be in the gutter for a decade. But that's an overreaction right now. Nothing has happened. They're still on the team. There's no reason to think they won't be. But you got to think about that. Just like we talked kind of prematurely maybe about the Giannis potential exit uh, on the last episode of the podcast, you can't put anything past any player. You can't assume or get comfortable these days if you're a GM. You just can't. I don't don't know, you know. Uh, A lot of the focus is going to be on the Clippers and probably rightfully so over the next few days. I mean, we all got cheated out of the All-LA Final, conference final that we wanted to see, which now thinking about it, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have been that competitive like we thought. Although, you know, matchups kind of dictate style. So I'm sure the Clippers would have probably fared pretty well against the Lakers. I mean, either way, I'm glad to see the Nuggets and the Lakers. I think the Nuggets are an exciting team. They're young. Jokic is... You just never know what he's going to do with the ball. No idea. He throws up these funny little wrong-footed fadeaway moonshot jumpers, which... If you really had blurry beer goggles, you would think it's kind of like the Novitski, you know, off-footed jumper fadeaway that he had. But no, no, it's much uglier, but almost nearly as effective. It's just such a funky looking shot. It's like one of those shots you see guys put up at the end of the shot clock when they just got to throw something up. But yet Jokic just pulls it out whenever he wants. So weird, man. Jokic is just such an interesting player. I don't think we have anybody in the league like him that plays the way he does. But anyways, I'm just going to quickly transition to the Heat-Celtics. I spent a a big chunk of time here on the Nuggets series because to me that was the more interesting game. Uh, More like a kind of overall series perspective on that. I think the game, game one of the Heat-Celtics was better just as an end-to-end game. I'm just going to start off. I'm going to touch on this a little bit, but... Uh, everybody, I'm sure if you've been turning on Sports Center, you've been watching Reddit, Twitter, and you've seen the highlights. What about that block? Bam bio. Tatum goes for the win in OT. He tries to yam it on Bam. He gets to the top of the key. He makes up his mind quickly. I'm going to drive to the lane, and I'm going to go up there and tomahawk power slam the ball. Bam comes over from the weak side and meets him at the summit at The rim, literally almost inches from the rim, puts his left hand out and blocks the ball. Almost, I don't want to say he cups the ball, but he puts his left hand out there. And Tatum tries to just kind of smash through his hand. So you can see Bam's hand is almost, it's almost parallel to the rim. It gets bent back so far because Tatum is trying so hard to mash that ball in. But Adebayo's wrist, his hand does not give. And he ends up blocking the ball and keeps it inbounds. And the most phenomenal thing, the most amazing thing about the block was he didn't foul him at all. Nothing. He didn't even body him. So typically when you get a block, usually at the end of the block, the guy will sort of body him or hit him with his chest. And sometimes the refs will see that and call a foul. But since he came up from the weak side and came with his left hand, he got all ball and was completely clean. Barely touched Tatum. And then, you know, he made a free throw. And then the Celtics threw this last gas, Hail Mary, crazy uh, full-court pass, which Tatum caught. He kind of fumbled it, fell down. This is all happening in a couple seconds. And then he just gets up and just throws this crazy fadeaway in overtime to try to tie the game. And it looked like it was going to go in. It did, not it bounced off the rim. But that was just a crazy sequence between the block and this crazy catch, fall down, release by Tatum. Now, the last thing I'm going to make a point on is about Jimmy Butler. I haven't mentioned him yet, but he was the reason the Heat won down the stretch. Offensively, his numbers don't, you know, pop out. But he made a huge three at the end of regulation that probably should have won the game, if not for a boneheaded foul by Derrick Jones Jr. on an inbounds, off-the-ball foul, which gave the Celtics a free throw and the ball. I don't know why the refs are calling that foul, in a big moment like that, but they've been doing a lot of these questionable things this whole postseason. And then in overtime, Heat were down. Tyler Hero somehow. Tyler Hero, the rookie, keeps him in the game, makes a couple big threes. He's keeping them in the game just long enough for Butler down the stretch to drive to the right on Tatum, body him, get the foul, and then somehow just toss up a prayer at the last minute and get the ball to drop to make it an and one. It was a great game. Like I said, much better than as far as quality of play than game seven of the Nuggets and Clippers didn't have the same drama and everything, but an exciting game. So I can only hope that the rest of the series goes this way. I think both teams are really evenly matched. If you watch the entirety of game one, you can see that both teams made runs. Both teams had moments where they locked down just similar teams that display similar effort levels and have both great coaches. And players that are just adaptable and malleable and switchable. So hopefully this series does go long. I'm thinking at least six or seven games. And I think we're in for some great finishes. Today is not going to be an outlier. I think there are going to be a couple more games that are going to come down to the last shot or to the end. I think at times, because how great defensively both teams are, some of the play is going to look a little choppy, a little sloppy. And honestly, in game one, it was a little bit like that at times. But it got real good, real interesting, real fast towards the end of regulation. So uh, I wanted to have a little more say on this series and this game particularly. But man, I was just so hyped, so crunk about the Nuggets Clippers that uh, I kind of used most of my time up there. But I do appreciate everybody listening. Hopefully, this was a mind-numbingly nauseating for you guys. I don't know how many of our fans, our listeners are into hoops as much as I am. But hopefully... I gave you a little entertainment here. And we'll be back next week. Same old regular co-host, same old regular format, where we'll get a little sillier, and maybe we'll talk about the NFL a little bit too to lead things off. I was going to get to that, but just too much hype, man. Just too much hype about the NBA. I couldn't help but just keep this pod all NBA-focused. Thanks again for listening to the first official ISO pod of The Buffer. Please rate and review us on iTunes.